Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, good morning, Vineyard. How are you? All right. You guys are way more awake than 930, I tell you what. So, you know, if, if you want to torture a pastor with ADD, just run a race boat regatta immediately behind them, right? And so I'm going to do my best to stay on track today. Um, hey, before I jump into the message, there's two things that I need to make you aware of that are coming up real soon. One is next weekend, our good friend Chris Dew is going to be here speaking. So we've had at least one person who's really excited about that. Um, now, if you don't know Chris or you've not heard Chris speak, you have got to be here. Actually, I would say you just need to be here anyway. This is one of those no, can't miss weekends. And uh, Chris has a compelling story. He was a heroin addict uh, as a teenager, uh, overcame that through following Jesus and uh, has found freedom. And it's just a story of hope. And uh, it, we all know people who have been affected by that crisis, the opioid crisis. So bring them, bring them, bring them, bring somebody with you next weekend. It'll be a great weekend to bring people because we're doing baptisms and that's always powerful. It's going to be an awesome weekend next weekend. So bring somebody with you. The second thing that I need to make you aware of uh, is if you're a guy where you know a guy, this would be all of us, um, we are going to be doing something in several weeks, the weekend of September 27th to the 29th, we are doing man camp. And we're going off to the woods and we're going to do manly things. We're going to eat beef jerky and blow stuff up and sit around campfires. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but mostly we're going to build real friendships and have real conversation. And uh, I think it's going to be a profound time. Uh, it is September 27th to the 29th. Uh, we have someone in the church who is graciously offering this beautiful piece of property for us to use out by Woodsfield, Ohio, by the National Forest out that way. And it is going to be an amazing weekend, beautiful time of year. You don't want to miss it. So here's what you need to do. You can sign up on the app or you can sign up on the website. There is a registration fee. It's 50 bucks for the weekend. We'll be camping on the ground and we will have a blast. So if you're a guy, plan on coming. So there you go. Well, as far as the message for today, we're wrapping up this series, Unstuck. And I am so excited about this message because I think this is an area that touches every single one of us at one time or another in our life. And I do believe this is an area that touches a lot of people that a lot of people are dealing with right now. Uh, and it's the, the issue of fear and anxiety and worry. And, and we all run into that from time to time. This is common to, to man, right? We will all run through periods of, 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 of dealing with that. Uh, and, and so I love how Jesus handles this. I love how the Bible tackles this topic. But I do think there's a lot of shame surrounding it as well. Because you hear people say, well, don't worry. You know, the Bible says don't worry, so you shouldn't worry. And you're like, but I'm worrying, you know. And then you feel bad about it and you beat yourself up. Or we do a drive-by guilting and we drop a Bible verse on somebody. And now they feel bad about worrying. I shouldn't worry. Maybe, you know, maybe God doesn't love me. Listen, we're going we're gonna to just, we're going to take care of all that today. 
You know, I have in my life been in places where emotionally it's right, right here. Ever been there? It's right there where, where, where it's, it's fear and right on the verge of panic. Uh, I remember one time I was teaching a wilderness first responder class, uh, which is a wilderness emergency medicine class. It was a 14-day class. We were teaching college students. I was teaching with some excellent instructors. I mean, really top-notch, best that there are. And uh, I remember thinking after the first day, man, I just do not belong here. I am not a good teacher. These guys are awesome. And, and, and day after day, that, that narrative kept going in my head. By the 14th day, I was just about ready to implode. Like, I don't deserve to do anything. And it was almost like a panic attack kind of situation. And, uh, and I will tell you from personal experience, when I have been there, the last thing I need is some well-meaning Christian to walk up to me and drop a Bible verse on me. Like, well, fear not. You shouldn't be anxious about anything. Oh, thank you. You know what? That's not helpful. That's not helpful to do to other people. That's not helpful to do your, to yourself because you can't control your feelings. Did you know that? You can't control your feelings. You can control how you respond to your feelings. But if you're feeling something, you're feeling something. That is reality. And it's okay, and I love this about this church, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. God knows that you're not okay. He knows what you're dealing with, and he's with you in the midst of it. Now, over 100 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible says, fear not, but it's not a guilting. It's a God reassuring us over and over and over and over again that he is with us. He's carrying us. He's not abandoned us, even though sometimes it feels like, where, where are you, God? And, and, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, this is one of our favorite do not worry passages. Matthew, Matthew 6 is, uh, is the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about worrying. He's talking about chasing after things that the world is chasing after. And he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I lost my place. What you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The, the unbelievers run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And so when we find somebody who's worrying, we say, well, you know, Jesus said, don't worry. That's not helpful. It's not helpful. Jesus is teaching a very important principle here. And he is letting us know we don't need to worry because God has got it. But he's not guilting people who do. The other verse that, or passage that we love to quote is Philippians 4. And we're going to dig into Philippians 4 a little bit today. But it's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we love to put that one up on the, on the refrigerator, right? Or we memorize it. And that's good. I mean, that's a good passage to remember. But here's the deal. There's more to that passage than just those two verses. And that's what we're going to look at here in just a minute. But I will tell you this. There is a peace that passes understanding. There is a peace that comes from God that passes understanding. But usually, learning to walk in that peace is a process. It's not, hey, I'm going to pray a prayer and all my fear should go away. And if it doesn't, then I need to feel guilty and bad about it. There is no shame in dealing 
with fear. But there is a process to getting unstuck from fear. And what most, what a lot of times happens in, in Christian world is we'll drop a verse on somebody and say, well, memorize this verse and your fear will go away. And we encourage people to push those feelings down rather than walk through them with God. And we end up with people walking in tremendous guilt. And uh, it's not helpful. It's not what Jesus had in mind. And the reality is, is that the Bible has a whole lot more to say about this topic, about f- fear, worry, and anxiety than just those two verses out of context. Like I said, we're going to look at, at Philippians. We're going to look at the bigger context of what Paul was writing there. you got to look at the whole of Scripture. You know, and, and, and sometimes even the Bible uh, in, in the book of Proverbs affirms this. Sometimes fear is a helpful thing. Like if there's real danger, if there's a crisis that you're facing, fear motivates you to get out of the way of the danger. My in-laws live on the, the, the coast of North Carolina. It was last year, the year before a hurricane came through and they were really afraid. It was like a big hurricane and they came to almost heaven, West Virginia, where we don't have hurricanes and they got out of, way, out of the way and it was a good thing that they did because there are real things that we should be afraid of and get out of the way of. Proverbs 22.3 says, the prudent or the wise see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Oh, it'll be fine. No, there's a hurricane coming. Get out of there. And sometimes in life we have our metaphorical or proverbial hurricanes and we're just like, oh, it's all right. And we just walk right into them. There is appropriate fear. And there will be times when you experience appropriate fear. It's not a bad thing. Don't feel guilty about that. And there will be times in this life where most of us will experience completely irrational fear. It's part of being a human being. And either way, you can't control your feelings. But you can control your response to those feelings. So it's not helpful to tell somebody to stop feeling something. It's helpful to tell someone, I hear what you're saying. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay. We say that all the time around here. God would rather you be real than right. And it is okay for, to not be okay. The feeling is not the problem. It's what we do with our feelings that gets us into trouble. Jesus said, just as an example, Jesus said, you know, what did he say? I couldn't remember if it was love your enemies or forgive. He said, love your enemies, right? He didn't mean you should have warm, fuzzy feelings towards your enemies. They wouldn't be your enemies if you had warm, fuzzy feelings toward them. He said, you're to do loving things toward them. If a Roman soldier who would have been considered their enemy forces you to carry their pack one mile, which they could by law, carry it another mile. Kill them with kindness. Show them compassion. Be loving towards them. Not necessarily have warm, fuzzy feelings towards them. I have people in my life who have hurt me deeply, and I have to choose daily to forgive them. And I have to choose to be kind towards them, to not retaliate, to do those things, to be loving. Can't control your feelings. Sometimes, even in the area of forgiveness, as we choose to forgive people, it takes a while for the feelings to catch up with the decision that we made to forgive them. Can't control our feelings. We can control how we respond. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin. 
Jesus, who is fully God, but also fully human, could not control his feelings, the temptations that were coming at him, but he could control the way he responded, and so can we. But as long as we think the issue is feelings, we will beat ourselves up and we will guilt other people. Stop it. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the words, be anxious about nothing, was anxious about something. Did you know that? He, uh, I think the Apostle Paul might be one of the greatest arguments for the validity of Christianity because Paul was the chief persecutor of the church in early Christianity. I mean, right at the very beginning when this whole thing started, he took it upon himself to try and wipe out Christianity. And he went around and he had people killed. He went around and he arrested people and threw them in jail. And he tried to snuff out Christianity before it got started. And at one point, he's traveling to another town, and Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse, and says, why are you persecuting me? And then calls him into a life of ministry. And within you know, a week's period of time, Paul goes from being the chief persecutor of the church to the chief promoter of the church. He goes on to plant churches all over the Mediterranean. He writes more than half of the New Testament, right? And how do you explain that? How do you go from the guy who's having people killed to the guy who's like, no, 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 I saw Jesus and he's real. He saw Jesus and he's real. <laughs> Right? And, and, and Paul, as he's planting these churches, he would go into a town and he would meet people and he would develop friendships and they would start a church and he'd stay for a while and he'd teach them how to follow Jesus and then he'd move on to another town. And there's this area called Macedonia where there's a church that he planted, but after he left, some people came in and started spreading rumors and lies about Paul and started teaching things that were not true about Jesus. And so Paul comes back, and he's, he's sideways about it, and he writes about this in a letter to the church in Corinthian, or Corinth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 is where we find it. He says this, For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Do you ever feel like you had no rest? Like you're just emotionally in turmoil. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Fears within. Paul is emotionally in a super difficult spot. I love this. I love it. Because the guy who wrote, be anxious about nothing, is anxious about something. Woohoo! All right, we're a good company, right? Um, and this is what he says But God who comforts the downcast comforted, comforted us by the coming of Titus. What does God do? Well, how does God bring comfort? sends a friend, an encourager, someone to walk with him. He wasn't comforted by a Bible verse. He wasn't comforted by reflecting on the glory of God. He was comforted by a human being. And one of the things we say around here all the time is that all people need people. All people need people. If you don't have a couple people in your life who are encouraging you spiritually, who you're walking through this life with, who, who are praying for you, who you can pray for, you are missing out on one of the great supports. One of the, you're actually missing out on your design. God created us to need people. 
And for Paul, he's all sideways. And I know this has happened in my life when I've gotten sideways and I have some friends who come alongside me and they bring some perspective and they bring some encouragement and they hold up my arms and they help me get through it. And that's what's going on here with, with Paul. I'm reading a book right now called Think, Learn, Succeed. It sounds like a self-help book, but it's, it's written by uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she is an expert in, I got to read this because I can't say it, um, cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. And she studies the, the mind-brain connection and how our thinking influences literally the neuroplasticity and the structure of your brain. Fascinating stuff. But one of the, one of the things that she lays out, if you want to get out of some some bad thinking cycles and, 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 and really get to a healthy place, one of the things that she says is you need community. You are wired for it. If you don't have a group, and she encourages people to get involved in their churches or a small group or whatever, you are made for it. And if you, even if you're not dealing with fear, worry, or anxiety, you are made for this. This keeps you mentally healthy. Dr. Larry Crabb, who's a Christian psychologist, wrote probably 15, 20 years ago in a book called The Safest Place on Earth. He said, 95% of counseling would be unnecessary if Christians made their way into life-giving small groups. Because as a society, we're just isolating more and more. We're pulling back more and more. We're kind of going into our phones and going into, you know, we're cocooning at home and all of, all of those things. And we need people. All people need people. Paul needed Titus. Titus shows up, encourages Paul. And that's helpful for me. I don't know about you. That, that, that's so helpful for me. Because, again, the Apostle Paul, the guy who said, be anxious about nothing, needs people. I need people. And I know it makes all the difference in my life. This is why we do life groups, guys. This is why we do life groups, because you need places where you can really get to know people and people can get to know you and they can en encourage you when you're down and you can encourage them when they're down. And, 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 and life happens, life transformation happens in those life on life environments. It just so happens that Next week, we'll start registering people for life groups, and they'll kick off here in a, in a couple of weeks. And if you're not in one, think about it. And don't, don't just think about it. Do it. Get into a group. Find your people. Do life with people. It's powerful stuff. You know, the other thing that Titus does is Titus helps Paul solve the problem. Titus goes in to the, the, the church and it's like, hey, this is not, you're believing stuff that's not true. And Paul is a good guy and, and, he, and he solves the problem. He's like, woohoo! I like that too, because sometimes it's, I just need the problem solved. You know, uh, that, that really helps. And, and so Paul gets stressed. Paul deals with fear. Paul deals with anxiety. Jesus deals with fear. And I know you're like, what? Jesus doesn't fear. Jesus was fully human. And the night before he was crucified, he was distressed and, and beyond anything that I can imagine. He knew what was coming, but he didn't want to go through with it. And so he goes into this garden outside of Jerusalem. He brings his disciples along. He says, you guys stay here and pray. Stay awake. I need you. And I don't think you understand a lot. A lot of times we don't get our heads fully around how distressed and anxious Jesus was. 
But he goes over into the garden by himself and literally falls on his face in the dirt and cries out to God, please, some other way. And it said that he sweat what looked like drops of blood. Now, that's a real thing. There is a physiological response to extreme, extreme distress where you, will, where you can sweat what looks like drops of blood. I have never been that distressed. My guess is you probably haven't either. But Jesus was dealing with unbelievable anxiety about what was ahead. And he begged God, please, some other way, some other way, but not my will, yours. And he comes back to his disciples. They're asleep. He wakes them up, says, pray. And he goes back. He does this three times, he asks God. And I think he demonstrates for us how to, how to walk through fear. He, he, he's not denying what he's feeling. He's, he's being very honest with God. He's not pretending. He's being persistent. He's coming back again and again. And in the end, he chooses to do the right thing because he can't control his feelings, but he can control his response to his feelings. You can't control your feelings, but you can control your response to your feelings. You know, I have, uh, I have a lot of friends who have or are currently dealing with panic attacks. And that's a very real physiological response to fear. And something triggers it, and usually they don't know what it is. But I mean, I'm talking the kind of panic attacks where you're driving along and you feel like you can't drive anymore because you're going you're gonna to have to pull over because the whole world's kind of coming in and you think you might be having a heart attack kind of panic attacks. And guys, this is on the rise across our, our culture. This is really something that we're seeing more and more of. Lots of people going to the ER thinking that there's something desperately wrong with their heart or their brain or something. And here it's just a panic attack. And I, I want to say again, you can't control what you feel. You can control how you respond. And, I, and that is not something to be ashamed of. That's not something that you should feel like, well, I should be more spiritual than that. That's just a real physiological response to some kind of trigger that you can't control. And you don't need to feel shame and you don't need to feel guilt about it. And that's the kind of thing that sometimes medication can help kind of wind things down a little bit and counseling can help along with what we're going to talk today about walking through fear. All right. No shame. Just on, on the issue of counseling, I don't think there's a human being alive that wouldn't benefit from a little bit of time on the couch. Just saying. I know I have. All right. So how do we walk through worry, fear, and anxiety? I don't think God wants you to be stuck in it. I don't think he wants to, you to spend the rest of your life in it, right? He, we will all end up in it from time to time because of life circumstances or bad thinking or whatever else. But how do we get through it? Because that's what he wants for you. Now, we're going to go back to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6 and 7 is what we usually quote. That's what I read earlier. But it wasn't written in a vacuum. It was a letter to the, the church in Philippi. And later on, some monks put numbers on the different verses. And so we read 6 and 7, and we stop. But there's a bigger thought there, and that's what I want to unpack. So we're going to read on to verse 9. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's where we stop. But what he's saying is, pray the right kind of prayers. This is really, really important. But he goes on, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Just focus on the right things. And then he, he finishes up by saying this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And there it is again. God is with you. You're not alone. So let's unpack this. What is Paul teaching us about walking through fear? And the first thing he's teaching us, the first step is uh, pray the right kind of prayers. Pray the right kind of prayer. What's the right kind of prayer? The right kind of prayer is an honest prayer. This is where we just get real with God. Again, God would rather you be real than right. If you've ever read the book of Psalms, it's a, the hymnal for the people of Israel. It's found in the Old Testament. Half of them are people crying out to God in fear and despair and, you know, and, and, and they're calling down retribution upon their enemies at points, you know. And I, again, I think God just wants us to be real with him. We get all wrapped around the axle about being theologically right, but God would rather you be real than right. The right kind of prayer is honest. The right kind of prayer is clear. If you're under it, you know, that's not the time to pray for Aunt Betty and, and everybody else and, you know, got to praise God first and this. You know, it's God. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I need. Be clear. And it says, with thanksgiving. So be thankful. Now, this is a super powerful principle because we tend, when we're under it, when we're under stress, we tend to forget what God has done. You know, the people of Israel had just been rescued from slavery in Egypt. God had shown up 10 times through these different plagues where he's done this miracle and then this miracle and this miracle. And finally, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. And the people of Israel leave and they walk out to the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh has second thoughts and he's like, that's my free labor. I got to get them. And so he rallies the army and they chase down the Israelites and their backs against the Red Sea and they're blocked in on each side. And here comes the army of Egypt. And what do they do? I mean, a couple days before God sends this plague and wins them their freedom and God has proven himself faithful. And you would think they would say, well, God's got it. It's just been a couple days. That's not what they do. They freak out. They're like, who, who's this God, Moses? Who are you? And of course, God parts the Red Sea and they walk across and, and he does it again, right? But when we're under it like that, we tend to not remember. This is why Thanksgiving is so important. Because as we are thankful for what God has done, as we recount the things that he has done for us, how he has been faithful in the past, it builds our faith and reminds us of who he is and that he's with us. And that's powerful medicine. So be real, be honest, be clear, be thankful, and be persistent. 
You know, keep coming back. Jesus went back three times that night. You're not bugging God. He wants to be with you and you to be with him. He wants to hear what's on your heart. You're not going to nag him. Just keep going back. So pray the right kind of prayer. Second step is, is this. Stay focused on the right things. Stay focused on the right things. You see what you focus on. You see what you focus on. He says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about good things. We see what we focus on. You know, I, I had no idea how many Toyota Camrys were on the road until I bought one. They're everywhere. Everybody drives a Camry. You probably do, and you don't even know it. But that's what I see because I'm focused on the Toyota Camry. And when we focus on the negative things in our lives, they tend to spiral, begin to spiral in our lives. What we think about matters. What we focus on matters. There's a direct correlation. There is a direct correlation between how much news you consume and how dangerous your neighborhood is. Did you know that? Scientific proof, or scientifically proven. Now, not really. Your neighborhood is as dangerous as your neighborhood is. But if you consume lots and lots of news, you think your neighborhood is really dangerous. Because we whether you get your news on social media or traditional media or blogs or whatever, when we, we can see everything that has gone wrong everywhere in the world. And we, it used to be you didn't see that. You know, we, we fantasize about the 1970s and how idyllic it was, and it was so safe, and the kids roamed the neighborhood. Statistically speaking, it's way safer today than it was in the 1970s. But it feels so much more dangerous, doesn't it? Because we're constantly focusing on the negative. Some of us would benefit greatly from turning off the TV and putting down the phone because we see what we focus on. You know, in the political realm, you know, this is so true. You know, back when President Obama was elected president, I was, it was fascinating to watch the people on the right, the Fox News people and and the, the uh, uh, talk radio people, like, losing their minds. Oh, my gosh, it's never been this bad as the end of the world. Oh, my goodness. And then when Trump was elected, it's the other side. They're losing their minds. You know, oh, my gosh, this is as bad as this is darkest period in U.S. history. Oh. And it's so funny because they're watching two different media sources, right? Like you got, you got, like never shall the two meet. But depending on which one you're watching, that's how you're seeing the world. Hello. <laughs> and in the interest of being informed, you're making yourself neurotic. Stop it. Turn it off. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Yeah. All right. So pray the right kind of prayers. Stay focused on the right things. And finally, live the right kind of life. Live the right kind of life.
live in obedience to God. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, he taught them how to be Christians. He taught them how to follow Jesus or that you've seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I love that because that's the message. Whenever, whenever God says, don't fear in the Bible, it's always I'm with you. But how we live matters. You know, obedience brings confidence in our relationships. When my kids obey me, whether I know it or not, there is an openness in our relationship. That dynamic shifts with disobedience. And it's fascinating because that's whether it's known or not known consciously, you can feel the shift. Disobedience brings fear. Let me prove it to you. So you guys know I have a problem going the speed limit. And um, it's not that I like speed. I just don't like to go slow. That's really the issue. Uh, so anyway, I was on my way down the road last night in that spot where it's 25 miles an hour, but, and I know the cop always sits, but never on Saturday night, so I was going 40. And as I went by, I noticed there's a police officer there. Now, what do you think I did for the next couple of miles down the road? I was looking in my rearview mirror. You bet. My heart was jumping in my, in my chest. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to get a ticket. Because Disobedience brings fear. Obedience brings confidence in our relationship. And the, and, and the truth is, sin separates us from God. Now, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and we do get forgiveness. But if there's an area in your life that you're like, you know what? This area, I'm just going to do my, my way. I'm going to disobey. You know, I, I'll go to church, and I'll read my Bible or whatever, but I got this area in my life that is just mine. You know, maybe it's your sex life. Maybe it's your business ethics. Maybe it's how you handle your finances. Maybe it's um, a forgiveness issue. There's somebody you need to forgive. You know you need to forgive. I don't want to forgive. I'm just going to hold on to that. Man, that creates an obstacle in your relationship with God and, 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 and feels like God's protection is removed in the midst of that too. Now, I'm not saying that if you're dealing with fear, it's because there's an area of disobedience in your life. But what I am saying is that's a good place to start. It's a good place to check because if there is an area in your life that you're living in disobedience to God, deal with that and surrender that to him because disobedience brings fear. Obedience brings confidence in our relationship with him. Now, the good news in all of this, and there is a lot of good news in all of this, is that your heavenly father loves you, that he's a good father, that if you're dealing, if you're right now in the middle of dealing with fear or panic or anxiety or worry, that he's not waving his finger at you and saying, bad, bad, bad. Good fathers don't do that. You know, if your kid is dealing with, they're, they're afraid of the dark, you don't slam the bedroom door and say, get over it, kid, and walk out. If you're a good, good father, you, you, you come in and you show them the closet. Look, there's no monster in the closet, no alligators under the bed. Oh, look, yeah, no, no alligators. You buy a nightlight. You sit on the edge of the bed maybe until they fall asleep, until they get to that place where they're okay. And that's what God's like with us. He's not slamming the door and telling you to get over it. He's not mad at you. 
And in fact, what he says over and over and over again in his word is that I am with you. I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not going through this alone. And it's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's not okay to stay that way. And I'm going to walk with you through it. And as you pray the right kind of prayers, as you focus on the right kind of things, as you follow his lead and live your life the way he taught, you will come through. You're not stuck there forever. And in time, the fear will pass. And in the meantime, your heavenly father, he's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Jesus, thank you that you receive us right where we are. Lord, that, that, uh, that, that you and the Apostle Paul and pretty much everybody in the Bible at one point or another has experienced fear and anxiety and all the things that we experience today. And Lord, that you walk with each of us, you meet us where we are and you walk with each of us to the, a better life that you created us for. And I pray for that for each person here, Lord, that in the hearing of this message, that they would hear your love, your compassion, that you're with them, and that you will walk with them through the fear that none of us need to stay stuck. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.